Thank you, Steve. Yeah, I was, I was once asked, uh, was I the best preacher in CFC? And I said, I'm not even the best preacher in my house. Never mind CFC. It's great to be with you today and uh, to be over with the family. Uh, it's uh, actually our 41st wedding anniversary today. Woo! Thank you. We were so young, we had to get our parents permission to get married. You don't really believe me or not? So you don't know. That's not true, actually. No, we were 24 and 22. Wow. Six children, six, uh, no, not, no, not the, no, those two. They didn't exist. Sorry. Four children, six grandchildren, and another one on the way this year. So where did the years go to? I get to be part of your summer series, Songs in the Summer on the Psalms, and today I get Psalm 46, which is a wonderful psalm. And I, I think you'll probably see on your seat a, uh, a sheet with the psalm on it, uh, and we're going to read it together. Is that be, that'll be okay. It'll probably be up on the screen anyway, uh, but I think it would be good if we all read it together. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Bless your word, Lord. Uh, scholars are not unanimous, but many of them say that this psalm was written around the time when Jerusalem was under siege by the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. Uh, king Hezekiah was on the throne at the time. Uh, up to 50, 46 to 50 of their villages had been sacked and looted. 200,000 citizens of the country had been taken into captivity, and eventually an army of 185,000 surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, the people were hopelessly outnumbered, were going to be defeated. It was only a matter of time, but they hadn't reckoned on the God of Israel. Uh, Hezekiah prayed, God spoke, and overnight, overnight, 185,000 of the soldiers uh, were put to death. And uh, Israel won an incredible victory. And out of that context came the writing of this psalm. And down through the centuries, people have taken great strength and courage from it and read it at times of adversity, physical illness, of bereavement, all sorts of things. They've gone back to the Psalms, particularly Psalm 46, and reasserted again, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. We will not fear, though the earth gives way. And lots of people have stood in that and gained incredible strength from it. And I believe that actually it's thousands of years later, people are still doing that. 
Uh, we can look on it and we can say, you know something, we really believe that. We believe with all of our heart, God is our refuge and strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. And what I want to examine today is to affirm that and affirm the, the goodness and the faithfulness and the strength of God, but to look at the tension that we live in everyday life where I put it like this, I say, you know, God himself is never mysterious. We can say with an absolute, because of the scriptures, because of our lives, we can say, you know, God is good, God is faithful, uh, God is righteous all of the time. Amen. Amen. But the reality is that for some of us, actually for all of us at times in our life, you know, we we pray, we see God come through at one minute to midnight, something incredible happens, we say, isn't that true? And other times the reality is that it's 1.30. And we have, to go to, we have to go to plan B. And sometimes we struggle with that tension between that we affirm the goodness and the faithfulness of God, and yet sometimes in our lives, everything doesn't work out the way we thought that it would. And I want to have a look at that today. And I'm going to look at particularly at the whole issue of faith and, uh, and trusting and, and how we do that and what happens as we do it. So let me give you six things that I, I think are important while affirming that truth and yet experiencing the reality of the life of ups and downs that many of us go through. Number one, maybe God never gave a specific word of faith. What do I mean by that? Maybe God never gave a specific word of faith. Now, I, I say that to you because I think we've got to be really careful when we say we've God's word in something because whenever we, whenever we say that, by implication we're saying God has spoken, we're believing this is going to happen, we don't see the reality of it yet, but it's as sure as if it stood before us and we're going to stand on it, we're going to believe it, it will come to pass when you use that word. Now, the reason I say that is because I think our faith is generally obtained, our belief for what is going to happen in the future is generally obtained by a revelation of God's nature, the character of God, and not by his specific plans. In other words, for instance, I believe that God is my provider. Whether you work for the, the government, whether you work for a shop or a factory or a company, God is your provider. So we can rest on that, but at the same time, we do not determine the means of that particular provision. We can rest on it, but we dare not determine the means of his provision. And, and I've had experience of this in my life. I've, I've uh, many, many years ago, when I, before I went into full-time Christian ministry, I was in business myself and did quite well. I had a really lean season. Still, I had booked a, a holiday. We didn't have a lot of money. We had two little children at the time. And uh, we booked a holiday to Jersey. And we paid the deposit, it was quite low. And the day came, those days, six weeks before the final date, you have to pay the full amount off. And we didn't have the money. I remember sitting in our little chalet bungalow in Belfast, and we sat on the edge of the bed. And I, I kept it from Priscilla and eventually broke it to her. I said, the money's due in three days. I need to post the check off. And I said, uh, but we don't have the money. We can't go on the holiday. And um, the two of us sat and cried on the edge of the bed. And, uh, and we said, what are we going to do? We said, well, let's pray. Because we thought, you know, I'd work, the money would come in, and I would have the money for the holiday. And I, and I said, well, it just didn't work out like that. And then Priscilla said, again, Priscilla, she said, 
my God should supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. She said, we're going on that holiday and we got into bed and went to sleep. 10 to 8 the next morning, I got a call from a friend who, who didn't, you know, hadn't, wasn't money bags or anything like that. And he said, you know, I was praying for you last night. And I said, I just felt the Lord said to give you a check. And I, I was going, okay, well, that, that's fine. Yes. <laughs> and I, and, and he, it, was, it was 10 to 8 in the morning. He drove, he came straight around to the house, still in her pajamas, and he gave me an envelope, said, hey, you know, God bless you. I don't know what it's for, but there you go. I could have waited and told anybody. And uh, we, uh, we opened the check. It wasn't 50, but it was 750 pounds, which all those years ago was a lot of money, I can tell you. And it, it sort of was one of those things I thought, Lord, you are our provider, but we don't determine the means through which the provision comes. You've got to be careful about that. And I think there's something in our, our lives uh, uh, in terms of grasping that one because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if God promises something, you can stand on it. Because God can't lie and God will do what he promised. It's just often that we attach the, word, attach the word faith to something that God never actually said to us. It's what we hoped would happen. And I think it's okay to hope and Thinks, you know, and say, well, we're really looking for, but, the, but there's a very big difference in saying, I've got God's word in this thing. Let me tell you one story, because I want to tease this one out probably more than the rest, because I think it's really important. Uh, when we were a young fellowship going back, oh goodness, 30 years or so, and uh, you know, most people were in their 20s and were seeing a lot of people getting married, and Priscilla and I were probably 10 years older than most of them and I was doing the marrying, I, I remember the very, as, a, as a small community, maybe 120 of us, um, we had uh, one, a marriage one, one June, uh, or rather May, and the next June I buried the, uh, the groom, young man in his 20s, and uh, he had cancer of the esophagus. And honestly, we were full, full of enthusiasm. We prayed, we fasted, we bound it, we loosed it, we cast it in, we cast it out. Uh, we stood in our head. You know, we, we, would have, we would have stripped naked and run around the streets of Belfast if it would have done any good. Honestly, we did everything we could. I couldn't have prayed anymore. It was, it was an incredible learning curve. And one day, two young men came to me, actually great guys, and they said, we believe Bill's going to be healed. And we believe that God has said he's going to be healed. And I said, well, that's fantastic. And they said, and the way he's going to obtain his healing is that you have to stand up publicly and say that God's going to heal him. Hmm. Now, I said there's just two things, there's just two problems with that. Number one, God hasn't said it to me. And number two, I have to prepare all these people for his death should that happen. I don't know if that shocks you or not. I, I, I didn't have God's word on it and I couldn't stand on it. I hoped he would get healed. I prayed for it. I fasted for it. I did everything I possibly could. We, we all did. We, 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 we battled. We did the lot. I remember the moment that he died, I was there. His mom and dad were there, me and his young wife. And we held hands around his bed. And uh, it was just one of those moments, you know, as he just passed into eternity, into the arms of Jesus. His parents, who weren't Christians, his father said this, this isn't defeat, this is victory. And I was like, in the midst of our tears, I looked at him and I thought, Lord, it didn't work out the way we thought it would. But you know something? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And God did something that we never would have seen. We never, we never would, we never would have seen. 
In fact, his father looks back a long time ago to the moment he said, that's the moment when I met Jesus. So we've got to be really careful about that. Our testimony is that God is our refuge and strength. Number two, it hasn't failed. Its time hasn't come. Timing's a really interesting thing because sometimes I think what we do is that we get excited and we add timelines and, and dates and places to things. And God never actually said that. I, I, I love the story of Abraham who was promised that he would be a father of a great nation and, and many nations. And uh, 25 years went by before he actually saw the fulfillment of it. Lots of things happened. Um, he had to leave all that was familiar to him, do something he'd never done before. He went from Ur of the Chaldees into the promised land. The famine test, things got worse before they got better. And the funeral test, the dream has to die and move to a different place. In other words, sometimes God does speak, but the timeline's very different than what we think it is. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a great, great lesson that I learned it many years ago. It's probably, probably almost 30 years ago that we, we had planted out as a church in Belfast. It was the most exciting time in terms of church growth. The first baptism we had, we saw 39 people baptized. We just were seeing people come to know the Lord from all over the place. It was fantastic. And we planted out five churches from our church in 15 months. In fact, the bank said to us, probably no more expansion, expansion of the business at this time. That's what they said, because too much money was leaving us. But it seemed as if it didn't seem to matter. We just were planting out. And one night, I had a vision uh, night, and I had 15 things up. I still have the acetate. If anybody, anybody over the age of 90 will remember those things. Do you remember that? The overheads. And I had an acetate with, with 15 things on it. And one of the things had a timeline on it. And boy, did I ever regret it. I put, we're going to plant 400 churches before the year 2010. 400 churches in Ireland is a heck of a lot of churches, I can tell you. But nobody batted an eyelid. We were with five churches planted. We were going to take that country for the Lord. And, and I remember at the end of the meeting, somebody coming up, and everybody was excited and pumped. 400 churches, wow, that's incredible. And one man said to me, Paul, isn't great? Jesus isn't coming back until at least 2010. <laughs> really? I hadn't quite sort of made that jump myself. But, uh, and then somebody said to me, where did you get the number 400 from? And this is, this is I, I, I'm actually slightly embarrassed about this one. What happened was, I'd like to say that the Holy Spirit woke me up in the middle of the night and I saw 400. I was actually shampooing my hair. It was a long time ago, as you can tell. <laughs> but I had really blonde, wavy hair. And, uh, and uh, the shampoo was VO400. <laughs> just seemed like a good number, you know. I just stuck it down on the acetate. I just thought it sounded... Anyway, I'd, actually it was a misprint. It was four. It was, I'm claiming it was four. Uh, funny thing is, you know, recently people to this day still... I've had a, I wrote a book, sort of history of what we were doing, and, uh, and I, put the, I put it in at the time, the number in it, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, about, I suppose it must be five years ago or so, the Irish Council of Churches uh, commissioned a study on uh, church growth in Ireland. And uh, they, they, what they calculated was that in the five years, in the 10 years from 2000 to 2010, in Ireland, north and south, particularly the south, of course, there were 300 new churches had been planted. 
and, and subsequent to that, there were, there were many, many more. So up to 2010, we had around, how many churches do you think were planted, new churches were planted in Ireland? 400, exactly. <laughs> now, if I had a stock to, we're going to plant, we're going to be part of a movement which will plant hundreds of churches in Ireland, I would have been looking good today. He would have said, you're a prophet, Paul. You got that when nobody else could see anything. What an incredible man of God. But today, people still say to me, how's the 400 churches coming, Paul? <laughs> what happened was, I, I caught the heart of something God was doing, but I added time to it, and I added numbers to it. Be really careful about doing that. But I think even when you do that, you know, uh, you know God, God, God is so gracious and so incredible, and he works out his plans no matter what. Number three, I think sometimes we give up before the miracle happens. We, we give up before it happens. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, faith or God didn't fail us. We fail them. And you say, Paul, don't beat us up about needing to have more faith. No, I don't, I don't mean that. I'm not trying to do that. But I think faith requires obedience. I think it requires obedience. And sometimes when we don't press through on something and we don't pray it through, uh, then, then uh, a major contributing factor can be a seeming lack of results. Most words of faith, as I said, come without a timeline or a schedule, but we add dates to God's appointed time, and therefore despondency, discouragement, and doubt can actually get into what, we're, what God has said to us. Hebrews 6 actually says this, that it's through faith and patience we inherit what was promised. That's, it's relating to Abraham. Faith and patience. So we stand on what God has said and we see it through until the end. We press through. We don't give up. We, we, we keep on going. Again, many years ago when we had, we had bought a, a building and that we had really stretched ourselves and there, were a block, there was a block of five houses right beside us and one man owned a lot. He rented them out and he obviously needed some money. Uh, and one, one night I came out uh, of the office on a Friday night and uh, he was waiting for me and he said, aren't you the, the minister there? And I said, yeah. And he said, I, I want to sell this house. I want to give you first, uh, first refusal. And I said, okay, uh, how much are you looking for it? And he said, 37,000. A long time ago, yeah. A big house too. And, and I said, I'll give you 35. And he said, make it 36 and it's the deal. And we spat in our hands. That's what you do in the country, okay? You'll... <laughs> We spat in our hands and we shook hands. That was the daily sale. I went home to Vermeer and still said, anything unusual happened today, dear? I said, well, I bought a house about 20 minutes ago. That, that literally happened. She said, what about telling the elders? I said, yeah, well, I'll tell them eventually. <laughs> we, we, we raised the money and we, we bought the house. And our plan was to turn it into a counseling center and a pastoral center and offices. And we applied for planning and uh, we got word through back channels that there was no way that we were getting planning. It was shut down. It would never happen. They said they were drawing a line at our church, no more offices in that residential area. And uh, we got the word and we just said, wow, what are we going to do with this house? We thought, if we, we got it wrong. What's happened here? And there was a holiday time. There was just a couple of us in the office, so Peter and myself, and uh, we got down on our, we just said, well, we got down on our knees. It was a it's a good thing to get down on your knees sometimes. We got down on our knees and we cried out to God. And we both felt the Lord say, 
this is not me. I, you know, this is, I, I want you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you this, this planning permission. You need to keep praying. And we prayed on and we refused to give up. And we, people, you know, we, we talked to a few others that day, actually. And they said, well, just obviously it wasn't the Lord's will. And we said, no, we're going to press through. We're going to keep on going. And we're going to get the planning for this here. And, uh, and I, I thought, well, Lord, you know, could I give you a hand in any way? Is there anything you need me to do? And uh, actually, I, I went to school with uh, uh, this counselor who was the head of the planning committee. I called him up. I said, Sammy, I've got a problem. He said, give me half an hour. He phoned me back and he said, we have a meeting with the chief planner and his deputy tomorrow morning, 10.30. The two of us went in. It was the 11th of July. It was literally. And we went in and they sat at the desk and they said, We're not, there's no way you're getting this here. And he said, this is the, my friend. He said, there's a precedent. You give planning to another church on the other side of town in an area of resident, residential. And so you've set a precedent. And they said, well, well uh, hold on. They went and got the file. No computers. No. They looked up the file and they said, yeah, you're right. We'll rethink it. One week later, we got the planning permission for it. We did subsequently. Amen. We subsequently bought the other four, the other four houses. And it's been incredible. Again, what's my point? My point is this. Please don't give up. Sometimes God speaks to you and you go, you know, this is never going to happen. Don't, don't, don't give up. Keep on pressing through and trusting God. In fact, there's a wonderful verse in our psalm. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the, and the, the words to keep on praying and keep on pressing through to what God has for us. Number four, sometimes it doesn't work out because other people are to blame. <laughs> now, you, now, please, before I say that, I, what I think is this, we've made faith so individualistic at times. It's all about my believing and my faith, so that if it doesn't work out, then the blame falls on me if, it, if th- things don't happen the way I thought they should. I love the story in Luke chapter 5, where uh, the uh, four men bring their friends to Jesus, and they, they pull off the roof, the roof, and they lower them down. And here's what Jesus says. He said, as he looked at them, when Jesus says, when he saw their faith, not not the man's faith, when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I don't don't fully understand how it works, but I think there's a a corporate dynamic in people standing together and praying. There's something in Scripture that prayers happen and move things along when the the quantity of people who pray actually take it forward. I mean, this building you're you're sitting in, it wasn't a result of one man's faith. It's a corporate action of people. You know, Steve on his own and Angie could never have done this on their own, either financially or any of the emotional weight of it. But somehow they caught the hold of something. And what happened? A, people, a lot of people came together and said, we're going to see this happen. There's something about standing together. And I would urge you, if you're waiting for something to happen, there's something very powerful about sending a group of people. Would you, would you, you, know, would you pray for me? Would you, would you press through with me in this? I, I'm convinced that that's what happens. Uh, five, five years ago, this time five years ago, I was in a hospital in Toronto. I had uh, broken my neck. Uh, in two places, I was uh, I was not in good shape. I had four ribs, lung crushed, shoulder shoulder. Uh, what do you call that thing on your shoulder there? Clavicle. That's it. Was smashed, and uh, my uh, bone and my two bones in my neck, my C7 and my my uh, T1 were fractured and dislocated. Apart from that, it was fine, <laughs> and uh, I was in a pretty miserable state. 
And uh, the ambulance took me to, I, I was on a quad bike, a four by four wheeler. Uh, well, I wasn't on it, I came off it, that's why that happened to me. <laughs> and uh, I went in, they did a CT scan, some x-rays, and the surgeon came in. I could hear them humming in the curtains next door going, you know, you know when you hear people, tire kickers, you know, sucking air out of their, they're, Phew, ah. And uh, they came in and he said, I'm going to prep you for surgery. We're going to take bone from your hip. We cut your throat. Uh, We go in the front way. We put a cage around the bone. We knit it together. We straighten the bones up. They're dislocated. We put a a metal thingy around your head. And then you'll be in Canada for about three months to recuperate. And uh, and he said, I'm going to send you up to the ward. We'll be up to get you soon. I went up to the ward and I completely had a meltdown. You know what that means? I sobbed and cried. Now, I was on morphine at the time, so, I, so, I mean, I, I, you know, I wish I'd been well enough to enjoy it, to be honest with you, you know, but it was, it was so terrible. And, and I remember, you know, just lying there, this, a pump, uh, that, the other thing is, I don't know if I ever told you this, but just a, a little sidebar, there's a, when they want it, whenever they need to fix your lung, if you've got a pneumothorax, they put a needle in about a foot long. And they have to do it quickly, and they go, just turn your head. There's no easy way to do this here. And they, they literally ram it down the back of your, your thing, into your lung like that there. If a doctor ever says to you, this might sting a little, <laughs> get out of there as quick as you can, okay? Because you're going to be in for a heap of pain. All right. So I had all that in, you know, the, the thing in, the thing down my lung. And I was sobbing, and I, and, but I noticed I had a... Sunday had left. It might have been a Gideon Bible because Priscilla hadn't arrived. I was there on my own. And I took the Bible down on my left and I started to fly. And I came to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and I read that chapter where Paul basically says that he was a despaired of life itself. And then, then he says, he talks about the God of all comfort. And then there was this little verse that just came to me and it said, these things happened that you might not rely on yourself but on the God who raises the dead. And it said, He has delivered us, he will deliver us, and will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And honestly, you know, something settled in my soul, and I just felt the Lord say, Paul, just trust me. And when I got there, of course, Priscilla got on the phone and started phoning around. People were praying for us all over the world, and we waited throughout the day, and then eventually sent me for an MRI scan. I went in for the scan, came out again. That That was probably the worst time you know, uh, that, was, that was a tough one. And I, and I went up back to the ward. The night went through. They obviously looked at the, the MRI scan, the, the previous CT scan. And, uh, and he came into my ward the next morning. I'm lying there. I had a horrible night. And he came in and he said, Mr. Reid, your spine has moved. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it was, he said, it was like this. And he held up his fingers. If you can see it like that. Dislocated. He said, but it's for some reason it's moved back the place again. And I said, have you ever seen that? No, I said, it's the power of prayer. And he said, he knew I was a pastor. And he said, he said, oh, you would say that. And I said, have you ever seen it before? And he said, not personally. Ah. And I, you know, I'd love to tell you, I got up and did a, a triple somersault and a back flip and a pike finish down like that there. But I said, what does it mean? He said, it means I don't have to operate on you. He says, we'll put a collar on you. He says, when the lung's cleared up, he says, I'll let you out tomorrow. And if the lung's clear in two weeks, you can fly home. I thought, you know, that's pretty good, isn't it? 
I, if I learned anything through it, I learned lots of things about sickness. That one is that people say stupid things to you when you're sick, but that's beside the point. But the, but the biggest one was this, the power of corporate prayer and people standing with us. We learned something that day that we never really understood before. And we understood, as it says in our psalm, the Lord Almighty is with us. Don't give up. Get people to pray with you. Number five, God withheld the miracle. God withheld the miracle. I, I found at times that sometimes you, you, you get the hold of something. Like my 400 churches, it's a classic example of it. And in other words, your faith goes beyond the bounds of faith when you believe for stuff beyond where God had said and beyond your maturity level. So what you've got to do is pray within your level of faith because sometimes we, we have extravagant claims. For instance, I have a couple of friends uh, for years and years been missionaries in France and they went to France, learned the language, six months, rented a house and uh, they prayed, they were great prayers and they prayed and they believed, they said, Lord, we're going to believe for the salvation of France. 50 odd million people. And one day the Lord said to them, you don't really believe that, do you? And they went, nah, I don't. And, uh, and they felt the Lord say, well, what could you believe for? And they said that we could have a conversation with our next door neighbor. And they prayed. A couple of days later, out mowing the lawn. The neighbor's out mowing the lawn. The lawnmower, his lawnmower breaks down. My chum jumps over, fixes the lawnmower. He gets to have a conversation. So their faith levels up. What could you pray for now? That would have a meal with them, that would, would, get them, would be able to get in. And, and the next day, the neighbor comes over to him and says, thank you for helping me. Would you like your wife like to come for a, a meal tomorrow night? And of course, their, their faith is up. What could, what, what's the next thing we could read? Could we believe? Could we believe that he would get saved? Well, we're not there yet. Could we believe that maybe we could talk to him about, about the Lord and what we're doing? And they said, yeah. And they prayed for that the next day. And as they got the, they had the meal together, they sat down. Uh, the man said to them, well, he said, bon appetit. And he said, where do you go every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock? And eventually their faith up. He prayed for his salvation, shared the gospel, and he came to know the Lord. Something very powerful about that. I, I, and I think there's something very true about that. Steps take into account our increasing maturity level with God and our ability to handle responsibilities. Sometimes we pray for this when God says, no, let, let, me, let, let me see you that I'm going to come through on this. Let's stay at the level of where your faith is and then move on to the next thing see what the Lord has done. And number six, and finally, God has a higher plan. God has a default position, I call it, because his ways remain higher than, his, than our ways, and his dreams and ambitions and direction for our lives are always greater and higher and wider than we could imagine. And so it often works out, but often not in the time frame or not in the way that we think it will. But God will always do as he promised. It's just that we get confused. So well, what do you mean by that? Well, I, the story of Moses always intrigues me. I don't know about you, but Moses, you know, having gone through all that he'd gone through, he gets to stand on Mount Eber and, uh, and uh, he looks over the promised land, but the Lord says, you struck the rock twice and so you're not going in. And you kind of go, sheesh, really? Did you ever, is that just me thinks like that? Did you ever, did you ever think that? Didn't you think? Well, of course, part of, it was, part of it was trust, part of it was typology. He strikes the rock 
Christ. You know, there's lots of things going on that we don't fully understand. But nonetheless, Moses, having a lifetime of leading this rebellious people, he doesn't get into the land. And you say, wow, oh, disappointment. But of course, thousands of years later, where is he? Mount of Transfiguration. He got there after all. And I kind of think, you know something, God's default button is that sometimes it doesn't even happen in our lifetime. I'm holding on to some things um, that are very personal to Priscilla and I, that we really believe God has spoken to us. And actually, you know, getting to the age we're at, we, we actually say, we mightn't even see this in our lifetime, but we're still trusting God for it. Because God can't lie and faith can't fail. Sometimes we say, well, I've had more faith. No, there's no such thing as, I, I don't think anyway, as more faith, I could put it like that, or a lack of faith. I think it's an absence of faith. And therefore, the plans that we have hoped for have never actually been the plans of God. You can't make faith up. You can't psych yourself in to a miracle. But if God said it, God will do it because God can't lie. And I want to affirm the truth of Psalm 46 today. I want to say to you that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And at the same time, hold the tension of the life that many of us now live, not exactly in the fulfillment of all that we believe for, for some of the reasons that I've talked about. I love the, the last verse here, the last couple of verses in Psalm 46. It says, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes the only thing you can do in your life is to do that, isn't it? You can go, Lord, this hasn't quite panned out the way we thought it would. We hoped, we prayed, we fasted, we took a step in faith, inverted commas. But our testimony is that as we're still and know that you're God, something happens in us and through us. And God works out his plans in a way that we never thought that he would. He never changes. Sometimes his ways do, but we don't. Sorry, but he doesn't. And so today as I come to a close, nearly finished, I don't know if you're like me. I, I, I'm not going to make them public to you, but just some things I'm holding on to God for. I'm not living in the, in the good of them just yet. And actually, I really believe they are a word from the Lord. And if that's you, if you're, if you're holding on to something and you haven't quite seen it come to pass, for whatever reason, please press through. Keep on praying. Get a group of people around you who'll pray it through with you. And above all, hold on to Psalm 46, that God is, a, is a, an ever-present help in time of trouble. But if you've gone through something and, and you're kind of going, you know, I haven't seen the fulfillment of it, I'd like you to stand now and stand with me as I'm standing, and I'll just pray for you now. Would you do that? It might relate for some of us to members of our family, salvation, um, health issues, family issues, job issues, relational issues. Hey, there's a hundred of them. We dip our toe in the water and it doesn't quite work out. The devil always wants us to doubt the goodness of God. Well, most of us have stood. Father, we come to you today and we thank you that your word is true and we believe that the reality of what happened to Hezekiah when he wrote, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, we're going to say, Lord, we will not fear. We will claim that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God.
Father, we believe that we're going to see what God has done. Father, we believe your word to us today is be still and know that I am God. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, as we wait patiently and by faith believe what you've spoken to us, help us to keep our feet firmly planted in your word and what you've spoken to us.